I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I have developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. In this podcast, I read from the New King James Version, and this podcast also contains abbreviated notes compared to the full commentary that you'll find on the main page. We start out the new year today by reading Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, Luke chapter 3, verses 23 through 38, and John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Let's begin with an introduction to the Gospels. Why do we have four records of Jesus' life? Isn't that kind of redundant? When you've looked closely at the accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you realize that each of them, while recalling for us many of the same incidents in the life of Jesus, they approach these happenings from a different perspective, many times recalling varied information about the same incident. Here's an example. Let's say my wife and I each view the same automobile accident, just a fender bender, but she's on one side of the street and I'm on the other. First of all, we each may see different details about the accident from where we are standing that the other may not. But that's not all. As the drivers emerge from their vehicles, each of us may take notice of different things about the drivers based upon our individual interest and previous life experiences. My wife may notice the clothing that the drivers are wearing, while on the other hand, and by the way that's likely, I might focus more on what I think went wrong to cause the accident. She might pay more attention to what the drivers each say to each other afterwards, while I might be observing the congestion being caused by their automobiles while they're blocking the roadway. Later on that day, when we begin telling our story, our accounts of that story obviously describe the same incident, but her color information is quite different from my own. You see, two different perspectives. That's why we have four accounts of Jesus' life, from four different perspectives. Moreover, the words actually spoken by Jesus and others often vary between the gospel accounts. That's why it's necessary to compare all accounts when studying the ministry of Jesus as conveyed in the parallels of the Gospels. Let's look first of all at the Gospel of Matthew. Nowhere in the Gospel of Matthew is it explicitly stated that Matthew actually wrote this Gospel account. But from the first century on, it was universally agreed that he is the undisputed author. Matthew was one of the twelve apostles of Jesus Christ, whose background was tax collecting prior to following Jesus as his disciple. Also known as Levi, we see his story in Matthew chapter 9, Mark chapter 2, and Luke chapter 5. Yes, Matthew had been a government worker, and not a very liked one at that. His previous life had been about money, all about money. It appears that this gospel was written for the Jewish Christians of Palestine. Matthew sets out to prove that Jesus was the promised Messiah, and that in him the prophecies of the Old Testament were fulfilled. This gospel is full of allusions to those passages of the Old Testament in which Christ is prophesied. Now let's take a look at the gospel of Mark. Mark, also known as John, also known as John Mark, 
We see that in Acts chapter 12, verse 25. He was not one of the disciples of Jesus, as far as we know, not one of the original. He first appears in Acts chapter 12, verse 12, where he's mentioned along with his mother Mary. It appears that their home was a gathering place for the disciples of Jesus. Mark was a cousin to Barnabas. We see that in Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. And he seemed to have had a special relationship with the apostle Peter. It would appear from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13, that Mark was converted through the ministry of Peter. It's generally believed that Mark wrote his gospel from Rome some years later, and that he derived his information from the first-hand accounts of Jesus' life through the eyes of Peter and other followers who gathered at Mark's home during the years after Jesus' ministry. Mark was educated. His gospel seems to have an emphasis which would have been of interest to a Roman audience. He doesn't include the Jewish genealogy of Jesus. He's careful to translate Aramaic words which a non-Jewish audience might not understand otherwise. Mark only quotes from the Old Testament twice, just two times, in his entire account. Now what about the Gospel of Luke? Based upon Luke's inclusion with Gentiles rather than Jews in Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, it's generally believed that Luke was a Gentile who came to know Christ. He was probably a physician. Luke was Paul's constant companion during his journey to Jerusalem. We see that in Acts chapter 20, verse 6. Luke doesn't claim to have been an eyewitness of our Lord's ministry, but to have gone to the best sources of information within his reach and also to have written an orderly narrative of the facts. We see him saying that in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Now, notice the following observation from Easton's Bible Dictionary. It notes, out of a total of 1,151 verses, Luke has 389 verses in common with Matthew and Mark, and 176 verses in common with Matthew alone, and 41 in common with Mark alone, leaving 544 peculiar verses to himself. In many instances, all three use identical language. Now, it's obvious to those who read Luke's account from the Greek text that his style is more refined and classical than the other accounts. After all, he was a doctor. It's commonly believed that Luke consulted with Paul in compiling his gospel. Luke traveled with Paul and is also the author of the book of Acts. Now let's look at the Gospel of John. There's no question but that the Apostle John wrote this Gospel. Equally clear is his intention for writing it down. That's found in John chapter 20 verse 31 where he says, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John doesn't do the genealogy that Matthew and Luke do, but he starts right in with the deity of Jesus Christ in his very first chapter. Likewise, his gospel doesn't track very closely with the events covered in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It seems to fill in the gaps with much information not found in those other accounts. The gospel of John appears to order the events of Jesus' ministry chronologically, being very careful to mention the occurrence of the four Passover observances during the ministry of Jesus himself. So, four different perspectives, you see. In four Gospels, we have all four perspectives of Jesus' life. That's why this commentary, as much as possible, presents all four perspectives of the same incident, and I group them together in the same section of reading for a clear perspective. 
Now let's talk for a moment about the language of the Gospels. Two Semitic languages were common in New Testament times, Aramaic and Hebrew. As a matter of fact, since Aramaic was written using Hebrew characters, the distinction between these two Semitic languages is not always clear. Aramaic was commonly spoken by the Jews in New Testament times. The Gospels record Jesus' words in Aramaic on three occasions. That's in Mark chapter 5, verse 41, Mark chapter 7, verse 34, and on the cross in Mark chapter 15, verse 34, and also paralleled in Matthew chapter 27, 46. When Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he addressed God as the Father by using the word Abba, which was Aramaic for Father. We see in Luke chapter 23, verse 38, and also in John chapter 19, verse 20, that the words written on the cross were written in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. Since Alexander the Great had established his dominion over that region, Greek had become the language of commerce. Later on, Romans introduced Latin. In Acts chapter 26, verse 14, Paul mentions that he heard the risen Christ speaking to him in the Hebrew tongue most likely to be understood there as Aramaic. The gospel accounts were written sometime after the ministry of Jesus. There is no evidence that any of these accounts were ever recorded in any language other than Greek. When these writers were recalling the life and ministry of Jesus, they recorded these occasions in Greek from the very beginning. There had been some unfounded speculation by credible scholars that perhaps Matthew first recorded his gospel account in Aramaic, from which it was later translated to Greek. However, there is no supporting evidence for that theory. Undoubtedly, Jesus spoke in whatever language was appropriate for his audience on any given occasion, Aramaic, Hebrew to the Jews, and Greek to the Gentiles. The balance of the New Testament was, without question, recorded originally in Greek. So let's begin our reading today with Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, and Luke chapter 3, verses 23 to 38. First, let's look at Matthew's account, Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Amenadab, and Amenadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her, who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam, Rehoboam begot Abijah, and Abijah begot Asa. Asa begot Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat begot Joram, and Joram begot Uzziah. Uzziah begot Jotham, Jotham begot Ahaz, and Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh, Manasseh begot Amon, Amon begot Josiah. Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Shealtiel, and Shealtiel begot Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel begot Abiud, Abiud begot Eliakim, and Eliakim begot Azor. 
Azor begot Zadok, Zadok begot Achim, and Achim begot Eliud. Eliud begot Eleazar, Eleazar begot Mothan, and Mothan begot Jacob. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are fourteen generations, from David until the captivity in Babylon are fourteen generations, and from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are fourteen generations. Now let's move over to the genealogy from Luke's perspective in Luke chapter 3, beginning with verse 23. Now Jesus himself began his ministry at about thirty years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Maphat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jana, the son of Joseph, the son of Madaniah, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maoth, the son of Madaniah, the son of Semai, the son of Joseph, the son of Judah, the son of Joannes, the son of Risa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatael, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kosum, the son of Elmadam, the son of Er, the son of Josi, the son of Eliezer, the son of Joram, the son of Mothet, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonan, the son of Eliakim, the son of Meliam, the son of Minon, the son of Mattiphah, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nashon, the son of Amminadab, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Sereg, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Now, if you'd like to see a discussion of the different perspectives for these two genealogical records, then look at the main page of BibleTrack.org for today's reading. And if you're looking at the site here while we're reading, then there's a link there to click. Now, John, on the other hand, just starts out with the deity of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God, 
to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now we see here no physical ancestry for Jesus listed in John's account. He heads straight for the heart of the matter. Two verses in this passage actually just sum it up. That's verse 1 and verse 14. Notice verse 1 again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Everything in between those two verses, well, they're all self-explanatory. Jesus is God in the flesh. He's the creator of the universe. It's undeniable based upon these first 14 verses of the book of John all by themselves. We see the role of John the Baptist mentioned. That will be developed later. Verses 12 and 13 outline the clear intent of John's gospel to point people to salvation through Jesus Christ. These two verses clearly state the necessity of receiving Jesus Christ as one's personal Savior and thus be given the power of a child of God. Verse 13 makes it clear that this is a spiritual birth experience. Verses 2 and 3 make a special point that Jesus was the creator of all things. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 we see these words. God says, let us make man in our image. Could this be a reference to the Godhead? Well, many scholars think so, and I'm comfortable with that view as well. However, that interpretation is not universal among fundamental Bible scholars. Paul uses the word Godhead in the context of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all being in one in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, when he says of Jesus, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That passage conveys the same doctrine of Jesus as the Creator. Notice these other notable verses on the same issue written by Paul in Colossians chapter 1. Verse 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. Now there can be no spiritual dispute regarding the identity of Jesus. He is very God, a member of the Godhead. John goes on in verses 4 through 9 to emphasize the mission of Jesus' manifestation on earth. He came as the light of men. John the Baptist is mentioned here as well. He's the forerunner of Jesus, the one who announces Jesus. Verses 10 and 11 summarize the rejection of Jesus, but with the promise of verses 12 and 13 that for those who do receive Jesus as their personal Savior, they receive the privilege of becoming the sons of God. The term believe on in verse 12 literally means to exercise faith in. That's what scriptural salvation is, trusting or exercising faith in Jesus as one's only means for getting to heaven.
If you'd like to know more about what it takes to go to heaven, to have eternal life, then I've written an article entitled What the Bible Says About Eternal Life, which can be found under the topic section of BibleTrack.org, or if you're looking at this page as I'm reading, there's a link right there at the bottom of the page. And that concludes our reading for January the 1st. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walker.